The Dig is a podcast produced in conjunction with Jacobin Magazine, which you probably figured out by now. And yes, Jacobin is a print publication, not just your favorite source of online commentary, but also long-form serious print journalism and socialist analysis. The magazine is released quarterly, and it runs at around 130 pages, filled with award-winning design and the ideas that movements need to thrive. Dig listeners can join more than 50,000 Jacobin subscribers supporting this vital work for just $15 a year. $15 gets you an entire year of Jacobin in print and access to the magazine's very extensive archive online. First-time subscribers only, you can access this deal by going to bit.ly slash digjacobin, all lowercase. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash digjacobin, all in lowercase. Welcome to The Dig, a podcast from Jacobin Magazine. My name is Daniel Denver, and I'm broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. This week's Dig comes in two parts, posted simultaneously. The first episode was an interview with labor journalist Alex Press and organizer Jonah Furman, a big-picture look at where the labor movement is at right now, how we got into this situation, and how we might fight for something better. This episode is part two, an interview on the PRO Act with Jimmy Williams, the general vice president of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Before we get rolling, please do support this podcast at patreon.com slash the dig if you have not done so already. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the dig. Also, Join the Dig Book Club and join our upcoming Zoom conversations with Paolo Garbaldo on his book, The Digital Party, and with filmmakers Astra Taylor and Eric Stoll on their documentary, You Are Not A Loan. Join by visiting thedigradio.com slash dig hyphen book hyphen club. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Most importantly, please take action to get the PRO Act passed. It just passed the House. The Senate, however, of course, is another thing entirely. Join DSA to phone bank for the PRO Act, March 21st through 28th. I will include a sign-up link for that phone bank in the show notes. Please sign up and help out. Okay, here's Jimmy Williams, the General Vice President of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. Williams began his career with the IUPAT in 1998 as a glazier with District Council 21 in Philadelphia. Jimmy Williams, welcome to The Dig. Thanks for having me. To start out, who does IUPAT represent? What what sorts of workers? So we're a construction workers union. Mostly our members consist of folks that you know perform painting projects, uh, be it commercial and industrial projects, but we also represent workers in the drywall industry, uh, floor covering industry, and the glass and glazing industry, which is where I come from. Uh, we put in you know, the big windows on high-rise construction projects, um, schools, things like that. We work in we work in every sector of the construction industry. And how many members do you have? 
So we represent over 140,000 members currently, uh, not to count our retirees. Uh, we have a, a retiree base of about 60,000. How did you make your way from being a worker in Philly to general vice president of the entire union? What did you encounter on the job that got you interested in taking a more active role in the union and in the labor movement? Dan, I mean, I'll just be straight honest with you. I am the product of the labor movement. I'm a fourth generation member. Um, My great grandfather was a charter member of our local union prior to even the passage of the act way back in 1919, 1920, I believe was when he formed our local union in Philadelphia. I went, I got into the trades right out of high school. My father was, was active in the union. My, my uncle was the head of the Philadelphia building trades. I'm probably the, the walking definition of uh, white privilege in the construction unions, but it's something that I, I grew up around. And the minute I got out of high school, I, I, joined, I joined our local union. And, and I've seen how much of a difference being a member of a union meant for average construction workers throughout the course of time when I worked with my tools. Um, that for from the day I got in, I always wanted to give back to the institution that was so good to so many of us. Let's start with the big picture. What is the PRO Act and how will it help workers collectively bargain, help workers win back basic labor rights, help workers strike, help workers win contract fights? How does that compare to the labor law status quo that workers confront at present? Yeah, I mean, the the, the current status quo for workers is is horrible. The National Labor Relations Act hasn't been amended since it was passed in any productive way to help working people. If anything, it's been dismantled and we've seen nothing but but rollbacks and and the current form of labor law in this country is slanted so much to the employer and to the business community that the PRO Act really is designed to go back to the original intentions of the National Labor Relations Act and make it easier for workers to form uh, unions in their workplace. It's called the Protecting the Rights to Organize Act um, for a reason, because currently it's so difficult uh, for workers to stand up and form a union. Probably the best example would be if you look right now down in in Alabama. Uh, Right now, workers are organizing at Amazon in Bessemer, Alabama. The things that Amazon is doing to dissuade the workers from uh, forming their union. Uh, they hire union busters. You know, they they scare people with the threats of of potentially losing their jobs. Truth of it is, right now, more than half the workforce that works in Alabama for Amazon have said they wanted to form a union. And if Amazon was a good corporate citizen, they would sit down and negotiate an agreement for those workers. The PRO Act is going to make it a lot easier for workers to get to an election. And and it'll make things that management currently does illegal. And it raises the stakes as far as their financial burdens, as far as potentially even um, being convicted of crimes. Um, these things that that currently are not in place will become so much stronger. It also forces a first-time contract uh, my my first organizing campaign as an organizer was way back in like 1999. You know, we it was a small little group of workers in in Philadelphia. Nine out of ten of them voted to join a union. 
and management refused to bargain with us over a year and all of the workers lost their jobs um, and we never got a first time union contract. Um, that's the way things currently operate for workers in this country. And but the PRO Act does so many things to strengthen our labor laws in the right way for the workforce. We talk a lot about needing to make it easier for workers to organize unions. But what you're pointing out is that often getting that first contract, all the games that employers, that bosses play on that at that stage is often critical in in the fight. Yeah, they know what they're doing. You know, they hire a management attorney that tells them, look, if you just wait them out after a year, you, you know, you have no right um, or or obligation to even bargain with the union or even bargain with the employees. And they know that the contract fights are often harder than the organizing fights. And then as the boss waits out the union on the first contract, workers look back at the union and say, well, why did we organize this union in the first place? Absolutely. It's been that way now for generations. Workers that do stand up get beaten down by the employers and often just, you know, people just say, you know what, it's not worth it. What other tools would the proactive workers to fight back against their boss? There's a ton, there's a ton of other tools. Like one of the, one of the strongest provisions of the PRO Act is, is going to be what's going to allow workers to um, support other workers that are striking. Currently, it's illegal, and this was passed in 1947 in the Taft-Hartley Act. It's known as the secondary boycotting provisions of the National Labor Relations Act, where if workers working in one particular site are trying to organize and they call a strike, other workers that are either union or not can do nothing to support their strikes. They can't walk off the job in sympathy for them. They can't um, strike their employer as well. And back when the unions were were really building our strength in the, in the late 1930s, throughout the 1940s, you know, that was a tactic that workers used to, to have better strength at the negotiating table that currently is illegal. That's one area. Another area that it that it really does help bring um, some clarity to is there are so many people right now that are uh, misclassified as independent contractors uh, when they when they gen- when they genuinely are employees uh, for their employer, but they're but they're classified as independent subcontractors. The PRO Act would make it so much easier for workers that work in that environment right now to collectively bargain again because they would be considered employees. Whereas right now, most employers hire independent subcontractors, at least in the construction industry. The employer doesn't carry any of the responsibilities as far as workman's comp, does not pay into any sort of you know, retirement or health fund for the, for the workforce, and, and all the liability shifts to the worker. Well, the PRO Act is going to change that if passed. And so we're also talking there about Uber, Lyft, DoorDash workers, the sorts of workers whose rights were just shredded by Trump by Prop 22 in California and whose rights have been denied consistently since these sorts of companies were founded. And and like other industries, like Uber and Lyft gets talked about a lot, DoorDash, all the technology firms that are that are using this model is one area where workers should be able to, to access collective bargaining way, way better into the future if the PRO Act gets passed. But there's so many other industries that employ that model as well. It just doesn't get talked about enough. You mentioned secondary boycotts, and I don't know that most people out there who aren't, you know, haven't been in the labor movement know that that's illegal because it's just such a astounding violation of labor rights or even just a very 
basic civil liberties that you'd think people would have in a democracy. Yep. You would think, you know, just protected under the First Amendment. Right. <laughs> that, you know, workers' voices should be allowed. But but the National Labor Relations Act and really Taft-Hartley that, that came in in 1947 has has put a muzzle on workers now for well over 70 years. Concretely, what challenges has your union faced trying to organize that led you and your fellow unionists to want to spearhead this major labor law reform campaign? Well, I mean, I think most labor leaders and most labor organizers realize that 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 this is needed. I think what what often we overlook is how much of a movement is needed to pass real legislation. When you when you think of the major major pieces of legislation that have moved in the course of time, it really does require a movement. Um, and and right now, I don't believe the labor movement in general is big enough and strong enough. Um, and I and I believe the workforce in general doesn't truly connect with the labor movement. That being able to organize around the pro act is something that I feel can reinvigorate the labor movement in ways that it hasn't been in quite some time. Um, there's a learning process here for, for a workforce and, and for the American worker to, to, to connect again with the labor movement. And I think the PRO Act serves as an opportunity for us to do that. There's no doubt that getting something this big through the legislative process that we have is going to require you know, millions and millions of workers to stand up and demand it. Um, so for us, like we we really believe that the work begins now in educating, uh, you know, other like-minded organizations like the civil rights community, the Im- immigrants' rights community, you know, folks within the LGBTQ community, those progressive-minded individuals out there that have that have really haven't had the opportunity to really experience the labor movement from within. That, that right now is the time. You know, unions are at the highest positive favorability rating um, that we've been in quite some time. Right now, 68% of the American workforce, if asked or if they could, would form a union in their workplace. That cuts across all party lines. You know, that means 68% of the workforce wants to be union. We have to really energize that base, and we have to turn that base out. Only 10% of the current workforce is unionized. Got a lot of work to do. I want to talk about that more, but first, can you get into a little bit about the concrete challenges that painters, organizers on the ground have faced around this country, in particular workplaces, and how the PRO Act would change things? Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, our organizers around the country basically see a divide in, in like the construction workforce that our organizers are faced with challenges that you you know that are enormous i mean i don't think there's been a time period now in my recent memory uh, where the workforce has been so divided by the bosses um, utilizing tools like i talked about worker misclassification using immigration in the construction industry as a way to keep workers down you know, we see wage theft rampant right now uh, in, in the construction industry. And then you have areas of the country that are highly unionized where where the difficulty is uh, less challenging, but, but still maintaining that strength um, so that we can bargain better wages, better benefits. You know, we can uphold the social safety net that unions have provided for generations. 
that we, our union has, has invested heavily in organizing in the South, um, which has always been a predominantly right to work, you know, tougher place to organize. And we're seeing workers that are just ready. They're ready. They're standing up. They're fighting back against their bosses. And the PRO Act gives them the tools to, to actually maybe make that type of change. But I would have to say, you know, one of the biggest concerns or one of the biggest things our organizers run into is how the bosses use immigration as a wedge and, and really hold that over the immigrant worker, uh, threatening to call ICE, you know, worker uh, wage theft at, at a level you, you just couldn't, couldn't believe in the industry. And, and folks just, just are, are getting a little fed up with it, I would, I would say. And the PRO Act has measures to deal with it by giving undocumented workers the power to get relief when they are when their labor rights are violated, which they currently don't get. Exactly. It's crazy that we say that if you're a worker here in this country, you have access to all the rights, regardless of citizenry. But then and this is the perfect example of how our labor laws are broken. Uh, but then we don't provide based on citizenship the same access that other workers have to things like back pay or reinstatement um, because the employer has the advantage. And the PRO Act does fix that. The painters have been really adamant about standing up for undocumented workers. Why is that? How did that come about? Because I'm guessing that was perhaps not always the position of the union. And how do you talk to members who might have more anti-immigrant views? It's it's something that I think is a point of leadership within within the union, when you when you look at the amount of immigrant workers in the construction industry and the amount of abuse that takes place, I think we've seen it on display when our members were, were swayed by, you know, former President Trump's rhetoric around immigration. And a good percentage of our white working class members voted Republican and voted for Donald Trump in, in the 2016 election. You know, we seen it as a moment where we had to, you know, view things differently around immigration. The immigrant worker is not the enemy of the white working class worker here in this country. It's just not the case. We have a long history of abusing cheap labor as a as a society. And the, the current immigrant worker is just another example of it. You know, I, I talked about how my great grandfather was a charter member of our local union. Well, he was an immigrant worker. And at the time you know, came together with other immigrants from Europe and formed these unions that we currently have and these institutions that we have in place uh, here in the United States that, you know, use, using race as a, as a wedge has always been the tool of the bosses. Yeah. On that front, what, what is the relationship that you see between the economics of this decades-long attack on unions and then an increasing number of white workers turning to the right and to Trump in particular. Could the could the PRO Act and a huge shift of workers into unions, could it, could it remake this sort of politics? You've talked about the need for the PRO Act to have a social movement behind it. Is worker power fundamental to changing how political power and politics operates in this country? Yeah, I think it's I think it goes hand in hand from an economic standpoint. You know, the, the, the economic promise that existed for previous generations of workers does not exist for the future of the workforce. And I'm talking about things like a secured retirement through pension plans that unions provided, things like employer-sponsored health care programs where workers have access to health care. 
higher wages. Wages are so stagnant in this country. Those three fundamental things are from the strength of collective bargaining. And that cuts across political spectrums. That's why if you know, we've taken a position in, in our union, regardless of the letter next to your political affiliation, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you don't support the PRO Act, we're not going to support you in any regard. Um, because, again, like I said, the economic trajectory of our membership relies upon collective bargaining and for the workforce as a whole. And we have to strengthen collective bargaining so that we can bring some of the social safety net that unions provided into the 21st century once and for all. And do you think that a more organized working class would be an antidote to the sort of right-wing scapegoating politics that we've seen become so popular in recent years? Yeah, I think there's something to this. And there's something to the fact that 68% of Americans want to be in unions. There's something to the fact that when we polled our membership, and our membership's reflective of society, you know, um, half of our members identify as as Republicans or conservative. Yet 78 to 80% of our members, when polled on the different provisions of the PRO Act, are, are supportive. I think it just requires a very deep, deep grassroots organizing type effort with the entire workforce of this country to, to re-educate, re-engage workers about what their rights are. And I think that could change the political dynamic uh, once and for all. And hopefully, hopefully um, that movement can begin with something like the PRO Act. And if the PRO Act doesn't pass this current Senate, it should serve as an organizing tool for the working class going into the future. It should not be looked at as a one-time thing. Um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get through a filibuster. It's going to get. It's going to be hard to get the 60 votes in the Senate, but it shouldn't stop us from continuing into the future. Has the rest of labor joined the painters in making the PRO Act a top priority? And if not, why not? And what will it take to change that? Yeah, I mean, I think labor is 100% united behind getting the PRO Act passed. I think the pandemic has changed things for, for how we organize as a movement. You know, we're not doing as many demonstrations, rallies, things of that nature, but but we have to move our efforts more online and, and being, you know, engaged on social media and doing outreach. The labor movement, for sure, is 100% united around getting the PRO Act passed. What we, what the labor movement needs is the labor movement needs support from other movements, from other organizations. And that requires some deep, deep work. That, that requires grassroots education. The labor movement has stood with many other movements in this country, the civil rights movement to be one, you know, the immigrants' rights movement, women's movement. We've always stood on the right side of social justice. This time, we need others to help support us in this fight. And that's work you've been doing. The painters have formed an alliance behind the PROAC with a lot of non-labor left and liberal organizations around the country, including with DSA, many of uh, an organization that many of my listeners belong to. And maybe most impressive, the coalition has brought together major players in the environmental movement who also see this as a top priority. How, how do you see labor movements, the labor movement's relationship with movements outside of, of labor, what sort of power could that alliance have? It's an unstoppable power. And, you know, I think within the labor movement, or at least within my union, 
we've been spending a, a tremendous amount of time working with community organizations and like-minded allies in, in the fight for social justice now for years, that the PRO Act brings it front and center. The environmental justice movement is a great example and a great place. I mean, if we are going to change, if we are going to fundamentally change our environment, and if we're going to fundamentally change the way we approach things like energy production in this country, those jobs have to be good union jobs. And the only way to do that is through the passage of the PRO Act so that we can reorganize the future of our economy and the environmental justice movement gets that and understands it. What lessons do you draw from labor's failure to achieve labor law reform in the past, in particular the Employee Free Choice Act, or EFCA, a much less comprehensive piece of legislation that would have allowed workers to organize a union through what's called card check, through signing cards of forming their support for a union. Obama claimed to support it, and he took office with a filibuster-proof Senate majority. What went wrong, and what did you learn from that, and what can we do differently this time? Well, you know, what what I'll respectfully say is, President Obama was full of shit. And, you know, the truth is he didn't make it his legislative priority. Um, Healthcare and the Affordable Care Act was his only piece of of legislation that that he pushed through in his first two years when he had a mandate to bring real social change to this country. And he he fell way, way short in, in many of our opinion, and at least in my opinion. President Biden's different. You know, I think President Biden understands the labor movement because he understands the strength that workers have within the labor movement. He's been around it his entire career. When we decided to endorse a presidential candidate, we said, the only thing we want to know is if you're really going to fight for the PRO Act. And he has, up till today, I think he put a statement out urging and pushing the House to, to pass the bill this week. You know, I think the thing that we have to learn is that in order to put pressure on the United States Senate, it's going to require a grassroots movement, and it has to. The United States Senate's broken. Um, it, it is a mess as far as being able to pass legislation. But the key is we can't support any United States senators that don't have our back going into the future. That's why I was so excited to see that both Southern two incoming United States senators in Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia have already pledged their support for the PRO Act. That is monumental to have two United States senators from the South supporting labor law reform. Um, that, that's huge. It's a step in the right direction. I think the thing we learned is we can't pretend that politicians have our back when they give us lip service. And we got we to gotta hold them to an account um, here and into the future. If EFCA, this much more modest legislation, if that failed under Obama, why push for something so big and so comprehensive this time around? Because it's needed. EFCA was needed back then, and the PRO Act's needed now. There's no reason not to push. You know, decades and decades of income inequality swelling and and workers being torn between the rhetoric on the right and the left. You know, it's time for for real bold change in this country on how we deal with, with workers. Well, Jimmy Williams, thank you very much. Dan, thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate being able to talk about this. Jimmy Williams is the General Vice President of the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. 
Thank you for listening to The Dig from Jacobin Magazine. As Marx once said, after noting that things are only settled by the continuous struggle between capital and labor, the capitalist constantly tending to reduce wages to their physical minimum and to extend the working day to its physical maximum, while the working man constantly presses in the opposite direction. While other podcasts have only interpreted the world in various ways, our point is to change it. We are posting new episodes every week. The Dig was produced by Alex Lewis, music by Jeffrey Brodsky. Our communications coordinator is Izzy Olive. Our senior advisor is Thea Riofrancos. Check out our vast archives at thedigradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Dig Radio, same on Facebook. And please find us wherever you get podcasts and subscribe. If it's on iTunes, you can also leave us a nice review. Those reviews help introduce us to new listeners. What really and truly does that is you spreading the word to your friends. Please make propaganda for us. And do find us at patreon.com and make a monthly contribution to keep this operation up and running strong. Even a few bucks is huge. <laughs>